Chapter 70 The Ways of Ascent Al-Ma'arij In the name of God, the most compassionate, the most merciful. A questioner asked about an inevitable punishment that would fall upon. This Meccan chapter contains two focal points. It describes punishment decreed in the hereafter and relates the existence of positions, ranks, and stages in the spiritual world by discussing the ascent of angels and the spirit. Ma'arij is the plural of ma'raj, which means a ladder, staircase, or other means of ascent. Punishment is described here by the adjectives inevitable, thereby asserting this event, the Day of Judgment, absolute certainty. Unlike the threats and promises made by humans, those made by God are binding. His statements about the inevitability of judgment indicate that everyone will be held accountable for their conduct. While we may imagine that this is a far distant event, the Quran often denoting that punishment begins as soon as an offense is committed. The unbelievers, none can repel it. Singling out the unbelievers here implies a contrast with the believers, who have a way to fend off and prevent this punishment. In general, lacking mercy, blessings, or anything good, whether one originally had them and lost them or never had them at all, can be called punishment. However, from where does it originate? From God, Master of the Ways of Ascent. The title of this chapter, taken from this verse, denotes God as the one who is the master of the ways of ascent, and has established ranks and steps in this world so that everything, including punishment, occurs in a gradual, step-by-step -step manner. The angels and the spirit ascend to him on a day measured as 50,000 years. Who and what are angels and spirits? What does ascending to God mean? What kind of a day lasts for 50,000 years? The lack of definite answers indicates that the Quran contains symbolic, allegorical, or polyvalent verses. The Quran pairs angels and spirit in other chapters too. While such symbolic passages are hard to understand, the following allegory might help make this verse more comprehensible. At the beginning of each academic year, professors, books, and the educational system are placed at students' disposal, as if they have descended upon them. But on the last day, the teaching and courses end, and these opportunities vanish as if the resources have returned, or ascended, back to the original source, while the students' efforts will be reflected in their report cards. Indeed, from the moment human beings are born, 
they register at the school of existence, and all resources are put at their disposal. But one day, their time here will end, and then they will reap what they have sown. Angels are God's emissaries to the world, similar to teachers with various didactic responsibilities. They play different roles and exert different kinds of influence in the world, although for now their effects cannot be explained scientifically. But what is spirit? Contrary to what some people may imagine, the Quran never refers to spirit as the cause or agent of life. Among the meanings applied to spirit is God's spirit that was breathed into humans. The divine breath represents each person's God-given freedom of choice and willpower, a privilege that allows humans to prevail over all other animate beings. Humanity benefits from the world's external and internal forces. The former, angels, assist humans in many ways. For example, inspiring humans with revelations and showering them with God's blessings. In contrast, the latter, spirit, are humanity's innate aptitudes manifested as intelligence, creativity, imagination, and other talents that may be strengthened through God's mercy in the form of bestowing help and reinforcement upon it. At the end of this earthly life, all of our aptitude and willpower that could have been directed toward devotion to God will be removed and we will be ushered into another realm. Also, the angels who are at our disposal will ascend. This incident will occur over a time span measured as 50,000 years, which implies that the Day of Resurrection's events will not occur all at once. It is unknown if this figure is based on our notion of time, and even if this number is to be taken literally. It is still relatively minuscule in comparison to eternity. So endure with gracious patience. As our experience with time is so limited, rather than being patient, we expect everything to occur during our short, limited lifespans. Indeed, they see it, the punishment, as distant. Humans, constrained by their short lifetime, cannot comprehend time's infinitude for they are unaware of its origin and conclusion. Those who ask when the Day of Judgment will occur and question its very existence perceive it as very far off. But we see it as near. Such people's love with this life's fleeting moments causes them to neglect the eternal afterlife. Their failure of imagination in this regard is the result of encasing themselves in their own worldly cocoon and thus unable to see beyond it. In some, they cannot see that which is swiftly approaching. The day when the sky will become like molten metal. 
the color of molten lead is brownish red. It can also refer to the rose flower. Amazingly, a photo published by NASA referred to a dead sun as a rose flower. Bright stars die when their supply of nuclear energy is exhausted. When this occurs, the dying star's outer layer reacts to contraction, causing it to swell and expand to many times its original size. At this stage, since this enormous mass impairs the emission of any light, it inclines toward the longest wavelength, which is red. The observer sees this star as it enters this phase of its existence and eventually becomes a supernova, as a bulky, brownish-red mass. And the mountains, like wool. Similarly, with no gravity, mountains will be floating in the air, and exploding supernova will blow off massive amounts of dust. And no friend will ask about his friend. When facing danger, such a strong or even a moderate earthquake, the survival instinct, in general, compels people to immediately think of only saving themselves. Although they will be able to see them, the sinner will wish that he could redeem himself from the punishment of that day by sacrificing his children. It is as if their eyes were veiled in this world and thus could not perceive the truth. In contrast, at this time, they will become privy to the world's full magnificence and wonderment, as well as the relationships and orders that govern it. On this day, Mujrim, sinner, would wish to sacrifice even his beloved child to save himself. Mujrim, derived from the root to cut, signifies a selfish person who has severed his relationship with God and other people. This is why Islam emphasizes establishing close relationships with parents, siblings, friends, neighbors, fellow citizens, and, in the greater scheme of things, all of humanity. His wife and his brother his kin who sheltered him, and everyone on earth if it could save him. The Quran makes such assertions so that people will realize the gravity of their situation and that the day of judgment involves something more than just expressing regrets. Weighing these warnings against the backdrop of a lifetime of committing injustice, wrongdoing, betrayal, and so forth, should alert us to just how serious such warnings are. For punishment is the direct consequence of wrong actions. We can see the consequences of our actions even in this life. By contrast, we can only imagine the intensity and immensity of punishment in the eternal hereafter. By no means... It is the raging fire of hell. People cannot redeem themselves from the penalty of the fire 
because it is the consequence of their own deeds. Stripping off skin People will become like defoliated trees after a strong storm, their skin stripped off. It calls on the one who turned his back and fled from the truth. This blazing fire will seek out those who turn their backs on these words, similar to a fire that makes its way toward more fuel. Therefore, this is an attraction and affinity kind of relationship. Who collected and hoarded wealth? This refers to people who spent their lives amassing wealth, so enraptured by it that they dedicated themselves only to this pursuit, thus filling up the vessel of their limited lives with impermanent worldly matters. Indeed, the human being was created impatient. The next two verses explain how so. He is distressed when touched by misfortune. Humans tend to lose control and become fretful and restive when facing illness, financial adversity, defeat, and other difficulties. And tight-fisted when touched by good fortune. On the other hand, when showered with blessings, comfort, and good fortune, they often do not share them because they are greedy. They tend to be fickle and, when content, usually forget others and their plight. The exception is those who pray. Salah Prayer, which literally refers to the prayer ritual, connotes turning toward God and establishing a relationship with Him. Contrary to Mujrim, the Musallin, those who pray, do exactly that. Therefore, their characteristics are diametrically opposed. The chapter now enumerates eight of Musallin characteristics. And are constant in their prayers. This does not mean habitually praying from dawn until midnight, but to be steadfast in honoring one's relationship with God, as opposed to submitting primarily to one's personal desires. Those who are truly with God view all of their important activities and investments in terms of this relationship. Therefore, they continue to turn toward God and stay the course. The next two verses describe the second characteristic. Those in whose wealth there is an acknowledged right. How could those who recognize him be miserly and materialistic? People whose knowledge of God is authentic and sincere exhibit his attributes in their own behavior because they have been internalized. Therefore, they are generous and acknowledge that the indigents and the deprived have a legitimate share in their wealth. For the beggar and the deprived, beggars entreat others for help, whereas other deprived and down-and-out people remain silent. Thus, 
the solicitous must search for them to discern their needs. The verse does not declare that believers may spend as they desire. Rather, they regularly set aside a percentage of their income to help the deprived. The next verse describes the third characteristic. Those who affirm the day of judgment and... The use of the imperfect tense, who affirm continually, indicates that affirming the day of judgment should be a habitual, ongoing action, as if it were a permanent condition of the believer. Such a verbal affirmation of its reality is only its outer aspect, for the reality of its truth must penetrate one's heart and then be manifested in one's actions and deeds. The next two verses explain the fourth characteristic. Who are fearful of their Lord's punishment. The Quran employs about 15 words to denote various aspects, types and degrees of fear, and yet each one is simply translated as fear, which erases each one's particular nuance. In this instant, mushfiq, is an active participle of verb connotes to fear and to feel compassion. Other corresponding verbal nouns from the same root signify a compassion and tenderness that originate from love. A mother's shafaqa toward her children motivates her to always worry about their welfare, that they may injure themselves or be hungry or lonely. This mindfulness and unease instill a kind of fear that compels her to constantly look after her child. Likewise, the believer's unease concerning the day of judgment is rooted in their love for the Lord, because they do not want to earn his displeasure and being deprived of his eternal bliss. For indeed, no one is safe from the punishment of their Lord. Believers, unlike those who fool both themselves and others, do not think that God, out of His mercy, will allow everyone to enter heaven. Consider how illogical it would be to assume that all students in a certain class would receive passing grades because their kind-hearted teacher does not want to hurt their feelings. Given this fact, one should not imagine that transgressors and corruptors will experience the same fate as the believers and those who engage in virtuous deeds. Do you think that the world has no order, and thus that whatever happens is totally random? The next two verses describe the fifth characteristic. Those who guard their chastity. Believers, both men and women, guard their private parts, are chaste, and exercise sexual restraint. Except with their spouses and what their right hands possess, for in these cases they are free from blame. This verse clearly describes the cultural milieu of the tribal Arabs' pre-Islamic society, the idiomatic phrase, what their right hands possess, meaning 
those under their power, refers to female slaves. The past tense verb, they possessed, emphasizes that this was the status quo at the time of the revelation. This period's tribal cultural norms made the ownership of other humans an accepted practice. Nonetheless, Islam does restrict the slave owner's right to have unrestrained sexual relations with bonds women. For example, it stipulates that they should marry these women only after obtaining their family's permission and providing a dowry. Although any who seek to go beyond that are transgressors. Of course, the relevant conditions in this regard are less stringent than those that apply to marrying a free woman. And the sixth characteristic. Those who are faithful to their trusts and their promise. The methodical description of the believer's characteristics began with their relationship with God, followed by their willingness to help others and the proper relations between spouses. The precepts described below now turn to the general conventions of fulfilling one's obligations as regards social treaties. The seventh characteristic those who stand firm in their testimonies. They do not become scared and retreat after testifying on someone's behalf. They are committed to honoring other people's rights and remain as resolute in their belief as a firmly rooted mountain. The eighth characteristic. And those who guard their prayer. As explained above, Salah, Prayer means turning toward God and establishing a relationship with Him. The eight characteristics of believers begin and end with Salah. Guarding prayer, however, involves far more than just paying homage to God, for it actually means to protect and pay attention to this relationship throughout one's life. Imagine how we pay attention to people whom we need, and in contrast, we do not care about the relationship's quality or trying to even establish one in the first place if we do not care about someone. Therefore, we can say that the degree to which we seek to guard our relationship with others correlates to how much we need or respect them. But what about our relationship with God? Is it proper to think of him only when facing a financial crisis, illness, or other calamities? We tend to keep God on reserve for a rainy day and only think of him in times of despair. And then, amazingly, when things return to normal, we forget all about him and give others credit for solving our problems. All of them will be in gardens, honored. The believers will be stationed with respect and dignity in the gardens of paradise. So what is the matter with the disbelievers when they rush up to you? This chapter's discourse now turns to the deniers. In the prophet's time, such curious spectators and deniers are only superficially engaged, caring just enough to find out the basic details and then moving on. 
regarding those who are not moved to action against falsehood, caring only to observe from afar and find out who won or lost, who survived or who perished. The Quran asks why bother to find out such things if they are not really invested in the truth of the matter. From the right and the left in throngs. They constantly come in groups, only to judge and scrutinize. Does every one of them desire to be brought into a garden of bliss? Deniers or polytheists are not addressed here, since they do not even believe in heaven or hell. Most likely, this verse means that some of those who are outwardly Muslim may imagine that they can enter heaven without exerting any effort or standing up for the truth. But this is clearly ludicrous, for God's law and order govern the world. If humans must exert themselves to achieve this world's blessings, then why should it be any different in the hereafter? No, we have created them from that which they know. Humans should reflect upon the nature of their creation, as well as on the insignificant and lowly seminal fluid from which they come, to appreciate just how much effort is required of them to enter the lofty gardens of paradise. Thus, I swear by the Lord of the Easts and the Wests that we have the power. Earth rotates on its axis as it orbits the sun. These movements change the actual physical locations of sunrise and sunset on a daily basis, which indicates that there is no fixed east or west. The world, including creations and humanity, is in a perpetual state of transformation, evolution, and unification toward a perfect whole. Therefore, this solemn oath is taken in the name of a multiplicity of Easts and Wests. The next verse explains what we have the power refers to here. To replace them with others better than them, and we are not to be outrun. God can destroy and replace any generation with a better one if he so wills. None can outstrip his authority and simply do as they please without consequences. So leave them alone to submerge themselves in vain talk and amuse themselves until they have to face the day that has been promised to them. Humans are engrossed in their worldly affairs. Supposing that life on earth is nothing more than mere play, they willfully neglect their eternal fate. A day when they will leap forth quickly from the graves, as if they are racing toward a goal. Graves are destroyed by the vicissitudes of time, whereas the information stored in human cells remain intact even when those cells break down and are absorbed by the soil waiting to be revealed. Nothing is completely annihilated, and no information stays concealed from God. This verse connotes a state in which people will race like rushing water toward heaven or hell, whichever destination is appropriate for them.
with their eyes downcast and covered in shame. That is the day that they have been promised. Haughty and arrogant individuals will no longer be able to behave in this fashion, and they will suffer the consequences of the injustices they imposed upon others.